Welcome to the Land of Goshen podcast. This is where you can hear the latest sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church in Belmont, North Carolina, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Our reading this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, Here is your servant. David said to him, Do not fear. For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. This year, because of Lily's birth, I did not go to General Assembly. I remained behind. It was just too much of a burden on Amanda for me to leave her with three children and one a newborn, and I admit I missed it because I always come back a little bit richer from General Assembly. And I don't just mean spiritually richer. They have an exhibit hall, and man, there is a lot of free stuff in that exhibit hall. (laughs) You ever been to a trade convention, anything like that? Well, the exhibit hall is a trade convention for Presbyterian elders, and oh man, you got free, of course, you got the free candy, which now that I'm diabetic, I can't have. Still, administration committee, they give away peanuts. Give generously at the lunch. They remember the diabetics. They give away nuts so we don't have to eat the candy. They give away free pens. I haven't actually needed to buy a pen in I don't know how long. I think I did once or twice because I had forgotten a pen and needed one for later that day. Other than that, I just pick up pens at assembly. And now that Amanda's hooked hooked on Ikea pens, I'll have pens for the rest of my life. 
They give away free just doodads, little toys for the girls. One of Nora's favorite toys for a while was a little Frisbee we got that was free at assembly. Another one's a keychain that shows a globe of the world. Tons of that because of the mission emphasis. You can get free books. I don't just mean little books. I mean solid, good theology books. I've gotten some good books for free at assembly. You can even get free clothes at assembly. You know how many people give away t-shirts at General Assembly? Hats? It's crazy. Now, of course, what's one thing that's true about most of these people giving away free stuff? They have a motive. They have a motive. They either want you to buy something or they want you to give them money to support their ministry so that they can continue working. Or at the very least, even if they're not there to get your money, They're looking for more places to do ministry, and they want you to remember them and call them. Some of them, their motive isn't to take. They do actually legitimately want to give. They're saying, we are looking for opportunities to do such and such, and if your community has a need, call us, because we've run out of opportunities where we're at. Uh, There's a ministry I know that uh, one gives away water. I love their booth. I don't know much about their ministry because the poor man who comes every year doesn't speak a word of English. All he can do is stand there and give away water and point to his ministry sign, Water for the World. That's it. That's all he can do. He was gone one year because he was sick and almost every delegate was looking around. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And finding out he was sick and he was prayed for by so many people because we knew he was there just to give water to us to ask us to help him give more water to the world. That's a man who wants to do something freely. He's there to give, to truly give, with no ulterior motive. He's getting nothing out of it but the opportunity to help more people. When we come to Christ, Christ makes us a free offer. And everything about that offer reminds us that his motive is free. He is not looking for anything. He is looking to give something. What we see in this passage through David, who so often points us forward to Christ, is that Christ gives grace. Christ gives grace. The first thing we see here is that Christ gives us the grace of God. Notice what he says here. Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? The kindness of God. David understood his position. That he is a mediator between God and the people of Israel. He represents God in legislation and in rule And he represents the people in prayer on behalf of God. That's part of the king's duty, to pray for the people. To go to worship through the priests and offer intercession for the people of God. He understands that every blessing he has as king comes from God. And that includes the power to do people good. And now that he has come to power, he looks around and says, there is someone that I need to give the blessings of God to. There is someone that I need to share the kindness of God with. 
Find me this someone. That's what Jesus does for you. You see, we often get a little bit confused. We remember that Jesus is God, so we think, well, he'll just give us his own godly blessings. But he needed to pay our debt as a man and earn our merit as a man. So he came down and was born of a woman, the Virgin Mary, born under the law, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death. He has ascended on high, having been raised from the dead, taking captivity captive. And when you are the victor, when you are the conqueror, what do you get? Spoil. Spoil. You've won the day. You get the goods. And he can stand before God the Father and say, not just as eternal God, but as a man, I have kept the covenant. I kept the covenant with Adam. I kept the covenant with Moses. I kept the covenant with David. I have kept every word of the law and your law, O oh God, says there are benefits. There are blessings. There are rewards. Give them to me. And the Father, pleased with the Son, takes His infinite blessing, His infinite love, His infinite merit, and bestows it on Jesus the Christ. And then Jesus turns around to you and me and says, now, I don't really need this. Because remember, Jesus is God. The Father already loves Him. Jesus has gained nothing from this. He says, I didn't do this for me. I did this for you. Come, receive the blessing of God in me. Take the merit that I've earned. It's yours. God looks upon you with favor. Take the washing of my blood. Take the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Take the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Take my care. Take my providential concern. Take it all. And eternal life with God into the bargain. It's all yours. Now what mechanism do we use to receive this? How does Christ give this to us? Well, Christ gives us His grace, this grace of God for the sake of His covenant. Before David held the throne, he had made an everlasting covenant with Jonathan, the son of Saul and David's closest friend, a friend closer than a brother. Because of this covenant of love, David now seeks to do good to the household of Saul. Remember, no one from Saul's household had sought David's favor or entered his service. They weren't coming to David saying, hey, I happen to be related to the old King Saul. You know, that guy, I would like to work for you. I mean, the reasons for this are pretty obvious, are they not? There's a reason if you were of Saul's household, you weren't beating down David's door, holding up a resume and saying, can I get a job? You assumed you needed to stay as far away as possible. But David now goes looking for them. He says, I have a covenant that must be kept. I must 
share grace with a member of Saul's household. I will bless them. Well, Jesus has entered into a covenant with his people, a covenant sealed by his own blood that can never be broken. If David would not break his covenant made between man and man before the Lord, how can Jesus Christ, who is the Lord, break his covenant that was sealed with his own blood on the cross? He can't do that. He cannot break that oath. In Washington, there's a great seal of the United States. We don't think about it all that much because, I mean, it's on a dollar bill. And unfortunately, the problem with dollar bills is putting things on that bill, which is most commonly used. Yeah, that's a high honor, but it's also the cheapest bill we have, so it doesn't exactly elevate things. Any document, though, sealed with that seal, it's permanent. There's no getting around it. It's a done deal. The blood of Christ, that is the greatest price and the greatest seal, the greatest testimony there is that He has given His Word. And if He will die for it, then He will keep it. It shall be done. We have not sought Jesus, but He seeks us out. And brings us to himself. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you, says Jesus Christ. You were not running after me, but I have run after you, says Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. There's a song, I don't even know its name. There's an old song, I think it was done in the 80s or 90s. I don't know the artist, I know nothing about it. I've only heard it one or two times. But it sticks with me. It's a Christian song It starts by singing about God, the mighty warrior, the mighty king. He who fights our battles, creates the world out of nothing. Just all these superlatives about how strong God is. And then it said, and the only time I ever saw him run, and the first time I heard it, I actually got angry because I was like, now God does not run from anything. How dare you? And then it says, is when he ran to me, took me in his arms, put my head to his chest and said, my sons, come home again. God doesn't run from anything, but he runs to his people to bring them back. We are given all the blessings and benefits of salvation in Jesus Christ. We receive not the inheritance we deserve, but a share of his own inheritance instead. We deserve hell. We have offended God most high. We have committed offense against that which is infinitely holy, infinitely beautiful, infinitely worthy. But we are given infinite forgiveness in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is especially amazing given who Jesus has entered into a covenant with. You see, Christ gives His grace to His enemies. David stands up, hey, is there anyone left of the household of Saul that I may do him good? Apparently, David doesn't know Jonathan has a son still alive. 
fact, one commentator suggests the son was in hiding, which would make sense again. And remember, when David took the throne, when Saul was killed, we are told that Mephibosheth was carried by his nurse who dropped him. Apparently, this was a very young child when David went into exile. It is extremely possible. In fact, I suppose, based on how David acts here, he may not have even known Mephibosheth had even existed, let alone that he was still alive. So he just says, look, is there anyone of the household of Saul? I made a covenant with Jonathan, but I will, make a, I will bless any of Saul's relatives. Just bring them here for the sake of this covenant. Now remember, in the ancient world, this is a rival dynasty. You don't give a blessing to the people who want you off the throne. I mean, can you imagine in Washington a prominent Republican congressman standing up Come, bring me the Democrats that I may do them good. Can you imagine a prominent Democrat standing up? Come, bring me the Republicans that I may do them good. That's what David's doing here. Bring me my political opponents. Bring me the people who probably would like to see my head on a spike. That I may do them good because I made a covenant. And I will keep that covenant. David extended grace and blessing to them for the sake of his covenant with Jonathan. We are enemies of Jesus, having sought to establish ourselves as rulers of this world in our lives instead of recognizing his rule as the Son of God. We have tried to run our own show. We have tried to establish the world as we want it established. Despite this fact, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our rebellion, Christ gave his life. And he has given us a new heart to love him. New eyes to see him in his beauty and a renewed mind to understand his word. He has brought us into his kingdom through the new birth that comes from above. Jesus would be in his rights to defeat his enemies and consign all to hell to suffer his wrath forever. That would be his right. That would be justice. Yet, instead, he has loved his people and made us his servants, his friends, his brothers. I could take being told I will be his servant. That makes sense. Being told I'll be his friend, I can kind of comprehend that. I can make sense of it. I can be like, okay, that's a huge blessing, but thanks brother, joint heir, Scripture says. Christ is the firstborn from the dead, which means there will be secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn. And he taught us to pray to our Father. Brother, to Jesus Christ. 
That is one of those things that if the Bible didn't say it, I would think it was heresy. That's how big the blessing is. We're going to get to a couple of those in this sermon. That's how big the blessing of God, that's how big the love of God is, despite our sin. He does all this for the sake of His love, nothing because of us. Because you have to understand, Christ gives His grace to those who are unworthy of His attention and love. You have to remember, Mephibosheth was the heir of Jonathan, but he was lame in both feet. And you might use that as an excuse to explain why it was safe to bring him in to David's household. You could say, well, you know, the guy's lame. He's not going to lead an army into battle. The guy can't even walk. Later on in the book, we'll see, he actually says, look, David, I tried to come to you, but I can't saddle my own donkey. I can't ride on my own without someone to help me. I'm handicapped, David. Then again, if he's no threat, he also can't do David a lot of good either. Remember, in the ancient world, what did most lame people do? They begged. They can't farm. They can't take part in trade because that involves, again, riding a horse or a donkey or some beast of burden. He couldn't do that. They could not function in the economy of the day, and so they were either taken care of by family or they begged. That was their way of earning their bread. We have a man who he is a beggar. He can add nothing to the court of David. David could have taken him in and said, Oh, Mephibosheth, I'm so sorry to hear about all this. I am so, so sorry. You know what? I'll give you a little crust of bread. Uh, I'll give you an allowance from the king's pocket. Um, you'll live, uh, you know, you'll have a little pauper's life, but you won't have to go out in the streets and beg. doesn't do that. Mephibosheth can add nothing to David's court. He can add nothing to David's might. Nothing to David's power. David turns to him and says, everything that belongs to Saul, your grandfather, is yours. The whole estate. What sort of estate was it? Well, Ziba, his kids, and all his servants were the servants to take care of it. So apparently, pretty big estate. All that is yours. All that wealth, Mephibosheth, belongs to you. But... If Jonathan were alive, your dad, I would not be content with that. He and I were tight. We were closer than family. That man was closer than any of my wives are to me. He's the closest I've ever been with any human being. He would eat at my table. So Mephibosheth, all that wealth I'm giving you, you don't even need it, personally. You can have it. You can spend it. You can be a big shot, but you personally are going to eat at my table as if you were my son. Because I loved your father. You eat with me. David did not summon Mephibosheth to take from him. He summoned Mephibosheth to give to him and to give abundantly. What? Does Jesus Christ gain from you? 
The very question is a joke, is it not? The most perfect man who ever lived, God incarnate, he whose teaching has inspired the whole world, and you think I can add anything to him? Of course not. He did not call me to take from me. He calls to give. You may say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure that he tells us to offer our lives to him as a sacrifice. That is true. He does want us to give ourselves to him. But please understand, he gives you the heart to be able to do that. He gives you the power to be able to live and any glory you give to him. You are simply reflecting back to him because it came from him to begin with. In the end, we are just given the privilege of knowing and serving God. We benefit. God gains nothing in the transaction. He simply gives. When Jesus brings us to Himself, we know that we're not adding because He says in Luke 17.10, So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. But He says in Luke 12.37, Blessed are those slaves whom the Master will find on the alert when He comes. Truly I say to you that He will gird Himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. So Jesus simultaneously reminds us, do not think I owe you anything. But he also says, but expect that I will bless you abundantly more than you could ever have expected. Because I have come to serve and to give. This giving, this blessing is ongoing through the generations because, and I did not plan this, I just want to point out, God's providence is such that this works this way and it looks like I knew what I was doing. And I almost did the baptism last because it fits so perfectly. Christ's covenant and grace are given to families. Christ's covenant and grace are given to families. As I noted earlier, David had apparently never spoken to Mephibosheth. He may not have even known he existed. But the covenant with Jonathan was not just with Jonathan. Remember, it was between the house of Jonathan and the house of David forever. Their lines were included. Therefore, Mephibosheth was included in this gracious covenant from the very beginning. From the day it was made, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, was covered by that covenant. God's covenant of grace has always been given to his people and their families. David, I will build you a house. The Messiah will come from that house. Abraham, in you and your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Adam, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. All pointing forward to Christ, but all including the chosen seed. And of course, that's why Abraham had to use circumcision to mark his line. Many people say, well, that ended, of course, at the new covenant. Where is that written? 
I've yet to find anywhere in the New Testament where it says that's the case. In fact, as we heard this morning, the New Covenant explicitly says it's still the case. Your children are holy. The promise is to you and your children and to those who are far off. It is still given to families. Jesus continues to work through families to bring his people to himself. And this explains why most Christians were brought to Christ at a young age. They've done statistical studies. You do realize most people who become Christians do so before the age of 14, right? Did you know that? That's when most people come to faith. Does that shock you? Does that surprise you? Shouldn't. Because what is the primary tool for raising up a person? The family. And if the family is Christian and is part of that covenant line, blessed with the means of grace, the word, prayer, sacrament in the community of grace, and God has promised to bless the means of grace and use them, is it any shock that so many children come to faith when they are sitting under the very means that God has promised to use to bring people to faith? Now that doesn't mean adults don't come to faith. They certainly do, because God can change anyone's heart any way He wants, through any, at any time He wants, and He'll use these means how He wishes. But it should not surprise us that so many believers come from Christian families because this is how God works. This is His promise to bless His covenant. We are optimistic about children born into Christian homes. Now, it doesn't mean that every child of a Christian is a Christian. They still have to be born again and put their faith in Jesus Christ. But again, this is where the means are. And this means that we have a responsibility to bring a child up in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they have the covenant applied to them, how can we prevent them from knowing God? This is why one trend in our society and in the church that saddens me is the death of family worship. It is not the church's job. I'm about to say something that's going to shock you. It is not the church's job to be the primary discipler of children. Whose job is it to be the primary discipler of children? The parents. The parents. The church will help. We will assist. But even look at the wording of the vow you just took. Will you assist the parents in the Christian nurture and discipline of this child? That's why the vow is written that way. It is the parents' job to read the Scriptures to the children, to teach them its meaning, to lead them in prayer, to show them the way to live for God by example. Do you wonder why the family is under such attack in our culture? Why marriage is falling apart? Why it's being redesigned? Because that is the primary means of making disciples. If you can redefine marriage, 
you can change the fundamental discipling unit, even disassemble it. Family and marriage are not just important in themselves, they're important as a greenhouse of the gospel. There is good news, though. You don't have to be born in the church to be part of the family of God. God has sent the good news of Jesus Christ to all the world. Jesus' death has removed the obstacle of sin for all who believe, no matter their background. It doesn't matter what people have done. It doesn't matter where they came from. You don't have to be born and raised in the church to be a full-fledged member of the church. And by the way, you didn't have to be born an Israelite to be a full-fledged Israelite. A lot of people think this is something new. Remember, if you professed faith in God under the Old Covenant, you could be circumcised at any age. That didn't matter. And you were considered fully Israelite. You could marry an Israelite. You could go to the temple and worship. You could eat the Passover, the whole thing. You were in. How much more freely under the new covenant? You don't even have to have surgery anymore. We just can sprinkle you, or if you insist, we'll dunk you. If you've already been baptized, you don't even have to do that. Believe and profess, and you're in. As much a part of us as though, in fact, you are... There's much a part of us as though you've been born among us because the only birth that counts is the birth from above. The baptism this morning is good and a means of grace, but it won't save apart from the saving work of God. That is what makes a Christian. If you feel God calling you through His Word today, know that He will accept you in Christ and will give all the blessings of His covenant of grace to you and your family. And I can say that with all the authority of the Bible because that is the proclamation that Peter made on Pentecost. Christ's covenant is yours today if you believe in Him. Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. We hope this sermon has been helpful to you. If you would like more information about the gospel of Jesus Christ or about Goshen Presbyterian Church, please contact us using the website goshenpca.com where you can find our email address as well as our phone number. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Goshen PCA. Please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing these episodes.